Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology. You may notice that there are different titles to this podcast as you work your way through the podcast, and that's because there's been a number of changes as I've gone along and as I've learned. Season one is now being edited for the second time, and it is late August 2021. The reason for the edits have less to do with dogs and dog training and more to do with the industry, my clients, and those trying to help dogs. How do you know if canine CBT is for you and how do you know if you need it? How are the views of trainers and industry professionals different to that of dog owners? Why isn't upper dogology mainstream? Are dog trainers missing out on information based on the system dictated by industry professionals? I encourage you to take a moment to listen to this episode before moving forward as it addresses some of the feedback and questions I receive and reflects the knowledge I've gained over the last 20 months or so while pursuing my goal of including upward dogology into mainstream dog training alongside other non-aversive methodologies. And I'm the kind of girl can roll like a guy, but I really don't know. If you're ready for the ride, I'm Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for over three decades. As you heard in episode one, most of my career is focused on dogs and clients, rescue organizations, and fosters. I immerse myself very little into the actual world of dog training and the industry as a whole. I I can't say that was necessarily a smart move, but it's what I did. And as I become more involved with other professionals, I'm learning more about the industry, how it's guided, how it's run. Most people who volunteer and work with dogs have the same goal. There's a plethora of information and educational resources out there. They tend to either preach the same thing, you know, the like-minded people, or they're debating and disputing each other's views. Upward dogology fits into neither of these categories. Because canine CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, is not mainstream, trainers and experts sometimes just automatically dismiss it, either because they don't see a problem with the system, which is fine, or they do not want to learn a solution from me therefore preventing me from being part of the like-minded people who adhere to positive reinforcement training or conditioning methodologies. Because CBT is inherently non-aversive and does not rely on reactive rewards or punishment, there's no need to dispute or debate which reactive techniques or tools or approaches are acceptable or unacceptable, and then therefore I'm not part of the uh, disputing and debating group. So I stand alone. Aside from my thousands of supporters, Connecting and collaborating with people who have the same goal, that of presenting proven solutions that are non-aversive to address behavioral issues, decrease surrenders, and prevent euthanasia, it's, well, it's challenging and rewarding all in the same day and sometimes even in the same hour. It's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. That is the reason for changing this season one, because of what I've learned by being part of the industry or immersing myself more into it. So to listen to this podcast, there's basically two mandatory elements. And the first one is that you want to learn, or more accurately, you have a need to learn. So you must have, therefore, a problem, or be frustrated, or find shortcomings, or feel defeated, or out of options. You might simply just want to learn because you feel that there must be something out there that's different, and you're just interested in learning. If you're happy with everything, and you feel you don't need a solution or you don't need to change or adapt or incorporate anything different, then you're most likely not going to get anything out of this podcast. 
In my 34 years experience working, I find it difficult to believe that anyone who works hands-on in the industry, what I mean by that is they're not sitting behind a desk or they're in a lab or the type of training where they just send out information or they stand on a soapbox or a podcast, for example, and they just offer that information or if they only work with puppies, but if they're actually working one-on-one with clients two-way communication, and you're working with dogs over the age of six months, and you're addressing behavioral issues, and you're working in real-life situations, I find it difficult to believe that you're not seeing some amount of shortcomings. Statistics prove the number one reason for surrender is behavioral. This may be masked by terms such as he needs more space or exercise, or he needs someone who's more experienced. Behavior is also the number one reason for euthanasia which may be justified by explaining the history of the dog or the fact that all avenues of rehabilitation have been exhausted and the dog is too far gone, he's too uncomfortable, emotionally devastated, or that it's in his better interest just simply to euthanize. The shortcomings of the methodology may be dismissed by blaming the trainer not being certified or qualified or the dog owners not being patient enough in the process or diligent enough in their application. The question still remains, Why did these dogs and the people who are trying to help them get to the point? That's because there's a shortcoming in the system and the system is failing the dogs. And this is because the system currently only includes conditioning techniques. And I get into this more in the next episode. I get contacted every day by people with good intentions who are patient, they're committed. They've hired certified reputable trainers. The problem isn't with the the trainer. It's not even with the method. It's with the platform or principles of the method and the goals of the method, what they're intended and designed to do. And again, I get into this in the next episode. My clients have been advised by their trainer or their veterinarian to surrender or euthanize the dog when these methods are ineffective. I don't think that the overall organization or systems that dictate the criteria are intending to dismiss canine cognitive behavioral therapy. I think they simply don't know what it is, or they're not sure exactly what to do with it, or to do with me for that matter. Their goal is to eliminate aversive methods and to discourage professionals from using those methods. And that's a great goal. But it's also a bit of a challenge for me because organizations that are doing this effectively, such as the Fear Free Movement or Lima, for example, their mission statements include all forms of non-aversive methods, and all professionals that adhere to non-aversive methods. Well, in a nutshell, that's part of their mission. Yet to be certified by them, one must adhere to positive reinforcement training. I never intended to create an either-or situation. Both conditioning methods and CBT need to be part of mainstream dog training. When conventional techniques are effective, people don't hire me. They don't need CBT, and that's a good thing. But to meet the needs of all dogs, We need more than one non-aversive effective methodology. We need a methodology that makes sense to people, dogs, and allows for flexibility and adaptability. So if you're interested in learning about canine CBT, then again, this podcast is not a step-by-step training manual, but you will learn a lot if you allow yourself to leave the parameters of conventional training. So the second mandatory element is to decide your criteria. And here's a comparison that I like to use. Let's say there's uh, the creator of an electric car and he has sold many cars. He's perfected the engine. 
and he's starting to sell a lot of cars. It's gaining a, a lot of popularity. And although he's not a mechanic on fuel cars, he does understand the basics of the mechanics of fuel injected cars. So he needs to hire mechanics and teach them how to work on electric cars because there's a need larger than he can satisfy. So he asks fuel injected mechanics if they want to learn how to work on these cars. Some have absolutely no interest. Some want to because they've heard of the good things about an electric car and some are skeptical but interested. So some of the skeptical ones ask him where the fuel tank is and there is no fuel tank, he replies. Based on this answer, they feel he doesn't know anything about car mechanics because he can't explain where the fuel tank is. And they're convinced that a car cannot run without fuel. So this would be comparative to trainers who feel that there's absolutely no other way to work with a dog unless you're using reinforcements. If your brain keeps telling you that, or the system keeps telling you that, you will struggle in learning cognitive behavioral therapy. In my podcast season one, it is simply to understand the differences in the mechanics, so to speak. So again, back to the mechanics. If their criteria includes that he knows all the elements and terminology and working parts of a fuel engine in order to be an expert on electric cars, then they'll probably not be satisfied. And this is comparable to me not knowing all the terminology taught in positive reinforcement courses. That actually changes. I've noticed that changes throughout the decades. There's always different terminology and different conditioning methods that arise, different ways of applying it. Trainers do it differently. No, I, I don't know them all, but I do understand the mechanics of conditioning techniques. My last year and a half has been a learning journey into the world of conventional dog training. Now I'm going to share with you a true real life story that happened to me that really changed my mindset. Literally the light bulb went on. So a client of mine suggested that I contact a woman in Canada who recommends and sells books online. She immediately denied my book despite claiming that her collection offers the newest and innovative resources. And her reasoning was two, two reasons. One, I'm not certified. Two, I cannot answer the questions, what do I recommend when a dog does the right behavior? And what do I recommend to my client to do when the dog does the wrong behavior? Now, this was a game changer for me. And this, this conversation, or it was emails, was about a year ago. And what this made me realize was that the system and those who control it, they're effectively diminishing negative methods and unqualified trainers, but at the same time, unintentionally, by making those questions mandatory, they're prohibiting any methods that do not adhere to conditioning techniques. I simply can't answer those questions because of the platform CBT follows. It took me a bit to figure this out, and it took me a bit to figure out that trainers are told that they have to ask those questions. They have to be able to answer them and they need to ask those of other trainers. Regular dog owners don't necessarily, maybe they do, but I've, I've never been asked that because they understand that cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't work on reinforcements. And that's a lot to do with this podcast because a lot of them listen to it. They also understand that my method is different and they're looking for something different. Like I said, that was a real light bulb moment for me. Why trainers tend to just dismiss what I do or be leery of it or skeptical. So for me, this is, is like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. You're just not going to get that answer. And this woman who ran the, the dog book uh, company was unable to grasp this or more accurately, she was unwilling to do this because she's adamantly devoted to what her industry leaders are advising. I'm not certified, 
because all the certifications are in positive reinforcement training or operant conditioning, balance training. And getting that certification and then applying cognitive behavioral therapy would be deceiving and unethical. My clients are actually looking for something different, so I'm not going to say that I do the same thing when I don't. This is why those who stringently follow the regulations established by the system should perhaps question the system, not me. Many people want the newest innovations, but they're nervous to challenge the status quo. Many want to learn cognitive behavioral therapy, but they only want to learn it if my learning journey, my credentials, my mindset, my approaches, my form of continuing education aligns with their beliefs and their criteria set upon them. But to learn something new, it's commonly required to leave your current parameters. I find dog owners open-minded and eager to learn something new. They've tried conventional techniques, and although they see the value and the success, they recognize the limitations. They understand it's not the fault of their certified qualified trainer. It's simply the method isn't working for them. And perhaps it had been effective with a different dog or with that same dog during puppyhood. Dog owners are not worried about their reputation within the dog world or getting followers or pleasing the masses. They have often applied mindfulness in their workplace or CBT to address their stress or with their adolescent child. Dog owners would not be here if what they were trying is effective. Dog trainers and behaviorists struggle with this because they have an allegiance to their industry. Somehow the industry has become all about the trainers supporting the industry and less about listening to the dog owners. And isn't that really what we're all trying to help? We're all trying to help people who help dogs. Trainers need to demand more from the industry experts, especially if their clients are not satisfied. And again, I only work with behavioral rehabilitation and integrating rescued and adopted dogs over the age of six months into our urban world. So if that's not the area you specialize in or your interest, then you, you might not need or be interested in upper dogology. The only reason I'm successful is because my product is needed and it's effective. If it wasn't, I wouldn't do what I do. I wouldn't even be a dog trainer. So if you're skeptical or even negative or you have the goal of validating upper dogology, I suggest looking firstly to my Instagram posts, which have tons of clients. Clients, veterinarians, and dogs validate it every day. This podcast is not a step-by-step -step instruction. And just like with positive reinforcement training courses, you're not going to learn an entire course on a podcast. Those are commonly six or eight months long. If you're looking for specific information that adheres to the guidelines and criteria you follow, you might want to consider reaching out to the organizations or the people that provide the information and guidelines to which you adhere. Ask them if they're familiar with canine CBT and upper dogology, and if not, why not? Why are they not researching what I do or contacting me to learn more? My research and learning journey, as described in the first episode, is not conventional, but it is valid simply because it achieved my goal of discovering a method that addresses behaviors leading to surrender and euthanasia. I continue to learn by talking with veterinarians and psychologists and those who work with rescued dogs and gaining a greater understanding of CBT and conditioning methods. And as always, there is no better teacher than the dogs themselves. My career has been this constant and unintentional push-pull between what resonates with clients and their needs to that of the system or the industry that is leading dog trainers. And again, this is just something I've learned and, that, and that's why I changed this season one. My goal is to provide you, the listener, with the information and knowledge to make an educated decision 
as to whether canine CBT is right for you and your dog or your business, your clients, or your volunteer work. Ironically, this is exactly the approach cognitive behavioral therapy takes. CBT provides skills and options that change perception to change behavior. I hope this podcast allows you to do just that. If you've decided to move forward on learning more about canine CBT and upper dogology, I'm excited to have you on this podcast journey. If you're still unsure, check out the next episode. That might help. And of course, following me on Instagram and checking out the posts and on Facebook and Twitter, all of those are Upward Dogology. And on LinkedIn, I'm Billy Groom. Big shout out to our musicians, the Jeff Murdoch Band, Danielle Barjot, Brian John Harwood, and Open Strum. This episode featured Danielle Barjot and Open Strum. Please feel free to contact me at billy at upwarddogology.com and please leave a rating and review and share this podcast. I appreciate all your support and your feedback and mostly I appreciate all you do for the dogs. Enjoy your learning journey. Ooh, you're